last week um, in talking about how did we do doing this stuff. Um, this, is the, this is the answers that we gave in text message uh, to the question, what makes us resist doing this stuff? And some answers like, I'm not Pentecostal enough. I don't recognize an opportunity until it passes by. And feel free to add to this if you didn't get a chance um, to just text in 417-283-8011, and we'll, those, will, those will pop up on the screen. You'll be anonymous. Um, I'm rebellious. I, I, because I was told to do it, I resist it. Uh, I don't want to damage or weird out a relationship that is rooted in another context. Not feeling bold. Uh, I'm selfish and lazy. That's a very brave thing for somebody to say. Uh, I've limited emotional and social energy. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, when we were talking about going to a place where God told you, you know, I was really imagining, like, take some time that you have that's free and, and pray, and then if you get an idea of a place to go, like, go there, kind of following in exactly the same footsteps as Philip uh, last week. And I have to say that I... Uh, I did not follow through on that this week. Uh, and so if I text in my response um, to this number right now, uh, you know, I've got to add to my, my list of things that makes me resist doing what I believe the Spirit's calling me to do and calling us as a church to do. Um, too busy, uh, honestly. You know, uh, I just, I just got, got to work on other things and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get it done in time this week. And so, you know, I just think it's important for us as a community to be the kind of people that are honest about our shortcomings, are honest about our failures, and that we feel comfortable sharing those with each other so that we can grow, so that we can name them, so that we can address them, so that we can bring them before God, and so that God can help us to grow in participating in doing the stuff that he's doing on earth. And so, uh, I just want to kind of bring this list of things up again before the Lord in prayer and just ask for his help in overcoming those as we look to the scriptures. And so uh, let's just pray. Lord, I pray that as we look to your word, as we look to the scriptures, that you will speak to us, that you will work in us to bring us to a place of obedience. Make us the kind of people who do what you tell us to do and who say what you want to say through us, that we could speak life and healing into the various places that we find ourselves throughout the week and that we would be changed by you no matter the cost. I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Well, let's look uh, at... Acts chapter 9, verse 1, I've entitled this sermon, When Christ Calls. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, this comes right after the story of Philip uh, reaching an Ethiopian, and, and, uh, you know, that's kind of a cool story. And and what's happening in this context of Acts is uh, the church is beginning to be persecuted in Jerusalem, uh, but even as the persecution, the, the, the pushback against what is happening and what God is doing uh, it, through the church in Jerusalem, even as that begins to spread outside of Jerusalem because of the persecution, uh, we see that the persecution starts to, starts to follow out as well. And so, so the pushback, uh, and Saul being one of these characters that's really kind of trying to stamp out this new movement uh, that's centered around Jesus and the claim that he's the Messiah King uh, is... is 
you know, there's some pushback happening. And so meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he found he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And a lot of times, in, in your, if you have a paper Bible with headings, you might find a different heading over the next section. And a lot of people like to break here, but I think the scene really continues in, for another 10 verses or so. But I think what's, um, for three days, yeah, he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. And I think one thing that's maybe natural for us to ask when we come into a passage like this where someone has an encounter with God and they fall down dead or, uh, or, or something kind of bad happens to them because they come into the presence of God is, is God mean? Like, is God not a good guy? Like, why are people getting hurt? Why are people uh, experiencing some kind of pain or discomfort? I mean, Saul gets blinded and knocked over by Jesus. It says that Jesus blinded him and knocked him over. I mean, that's in the text. It's like, so is, is that the kind of person Jesus is? And then he says later on in just a few verses, make sure you catch this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That seems a bit cruel. I mean, is that, is that in keeping with the character of God? What is that about? What does that mean? And I think that I don't want us to get distracted by this question, but I want to acknowledge that because we live in this now, not yet reality, and because we live in this world that is so twisted and so broken by sin, the power structures and the demonic powers behind those power structures in human governments and throughout the world and just even in our own hearts, that there's conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this present evil age. And whatever God does, In interrupting our plans, I think it's important for us to understand in the wider context, if we zoom out, if we look at the whole of history, if we look at the whole of Paul's life, this guy who became the Apostle Paul and uh, the man who wrote maybe like a third of the New Testament, the man who, uh, you know, cities and universities and colleges and hospitals are named after, who's had this massive influence on the history of the world, not just his own, uh, his own little neighborhood of Jerusalem in his day, but, but a, a name that you know, has had impact, uh, you know, surpassed maybe only by Jesus and a few other people in human history. That, that, that when God interrupts our plans, no matter how uncomfortable those interruptions are, his interruptions are always always motivated by love. We can trust that God is a good God, even if he calls us to challenging things, even if he calls us to do things that are uncomfortable, even if he invites us to walk the path of the cross as Jesus was called to walk. The things he's inviting us to and calling us to are motivated by love, and it is for our benefit and the benefit of others 
that we say yes and participate in what he's doing. The story continues. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. This is not the Ananias who got struck dead uh, with his wife Sapphira. Uh, However, because they share the same name, we have a lot of kids named Paul. We don't have a whole lot of kids named Ananias because it's a little bit easy to get confused. Uh, But there was another Ananias, and this, this one was a disciple. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I think that what Ananias is about to say puts truth to the lie that sometimes the only thing we need is some specific direction from God, right? Because, because in this story, uh, somehow through prayer, you know, this conversation that Ananias is having, uh, and, I, you know, I wonder, like, what is that like for him? Is he hearing an audible voice, or is it more like when I pray and I just, I get a sense that, that God is sort of speaking to me in my thoughts, uh, I just have this inward sense of knowing. I wonder what that conversation is like, but, but, but he gets some very specific directions. There's no ambiguity about what God is asking Ananias to do here, right? Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I mean, that is very specific, right? There's no ambiguity. There's, there's no question about what God is asking Ananias to do, but yet here's Ananias' response. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And there's this common refrain that happens in Scripture. Uh, With almost every great hero of the faith, uh, there's this common absurdity of resisting God that happens. And we see it here again with Ananias, right? You know, Abraham says, you know, where am I supposed to go? Why, you know, where are you going to send me? Tell me where I'm going to go. And God says, I'll show you on the way. Jacob uh, wrestles with God. Moses says, I'm, I can't speak. I'm too, I, I, I get, I get flustered and I'm, I'm not eloquent enough to do what you've called me to do. Gideon, total, total coward, right? Uh, doesn't want to, doesn't want to follow what God has him to do. Most of the judges, right? Most of the people in the book of Judges are like these, they're just a mess in trying to follow what God is asking them to do. Isaiah and Jeremiah, these great prophets who have thick books in this, in this library that I'm holding right here. These thick books, uh, uh, these prophets that have had you know, massive impact in, in the history of the church and the world, you know, both protest when God 
calls them. Uh, you know, Jeremiah says, they're not going to listen to me. And he's right. And, uh, and, you know, and then Jonah, you know, like classic example of just like rebelling the whole way, going kicking and screaming against what God has called him to do. And then we see that the early disciples of Jesus are really no different. And so if we find in ourselves a, a little bit of resistance to the almighty creator of the universe who will judge the living and the dead and knows all of our secret thoughts and emotions and to whom we will be held accountable, uh, then we're right on track, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're in good company because there have been many very flawed irrational, absurd human beings who have come before us, who are just as weak as we are, who are just as rebellious and pathetic, lazy, scared, that God was able to use. It doesn't make it any less absurd, but I feel we should be encouraged. There's good news. God works through imperfect people. And do you ever wonder, like, why, you know, if God can blind him, why does God send Ananias? Why does he do that? I mean, clearly, it's not like he doesn't have the power to just blind him and unblind him, but he wants wants Ananias' will involved. And, you know, you can kind of get the sense reading the story that maybe Ananias almost blew it. Like he almost didn't say yes. Like what would have happened if Ananias had refused? I wonder. But God, for whatever reason, it seems like won't do most of what he's doing without us. And I think that's because of his love and his grace that he invites us calls us, commands us to participate in what he's doing in the world. And so Ananias goes. We see in Ananias and in this story this paradigm of the age to come and this present evil age. And so, you know, in the days before Jesus, the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the end of time uh, uh, with this kingdom of darkness to end and the Messiah to bring in the kingdom of light. Well, what happened was the kingdom of darkness kept going, but the kingdom of light broke in through Jesus and his first coming in the inauguration of his ministry. He began the end, and the end is breaking into our present existence. And so we get to see these little glimpses. We get to see these these, these little drops of the coming flood, of the coming deluge of the kingdom of God in, in healing and restoration and salvation and forgiveness and repentance and all the good things that happen when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That this, this age to come is breaking in and yet we have all this selfishness, we have all this doubt, we have all this death and destruction and injustice and all the, all the markers that let us know that we still live in a very broken, dark world are still present and we live in this tension, waiting for Jesus to come and restore everything in the already and not yet time. And we see that at work in Ananias as well as the life of the church all throughout Acts and in Paul's life as well. But God's reality is present, right? We see this future reality, this future kingdom breaking into our present, uh, present experience. 
But I think that we are so affected by this reality, we're so affected by this age, we're so discipled on these devices that we carry around in our pockets all day and look at 20, 30, 40 times a day, spending hours and hours of time scrolling, just looking for something entertaining, looking for something that inspires us. Hopefully we have a Bible app on here and that can be a, you know, a little break from the rest of it. But, but that we are so discipled by this kingdom of darkness that works on a lie and masquerades as a kingdom of light that I think that we are tempted to believe things that aren't true. And so if we are discipled by, so, by social media and we only follow, and our only discipleship happens through this experience of very sophisticated lying that happens through selfies and presenting our best and, and all the kind of negative things that we're all aware of, I hope, at this point about social media and the internet. If we're discipled by this hyper-real pretend reality we can start to believe things that aren't true about our experience. Mainly that if we're suffering or if we're struggling in some way, that we've done something wrong or we must be severely off course. Or if our life isn't full of intense joy and meaning as believers in Jesus, if, the, if for some reason we aren't super effective at the things that God has called us to, if we aren't just killing it in leading people to Christ and, and praying for healing to happen and all the cool, meaningful stuff that we read about in Scripture. If we struggle with any kind of mundane life or activity, that something must be off or something that must be wrong. We have a propensity and a, a natural pride that we bring when we read the Word of God to put ourselves in the story as the hero, as the most significant character in any story that we're reading. And I don't think that's all bad. I think that God calls us to significance. I believe that God calls us to a life that is truly, naturally supernatural, that it's, that it's a life with God that God can work in and, and be part of and that we do find our significance in him. But I think a truth that we need to accept when we start to engage with this stuff and we run up against our own human weaknesses is that we, we aren't all going to be the Apostle Paul, Right? But here's what I want to say to you this morning. There might actually be some grace and some good news in that disappointment to you. Maybe some of you are wise enough to know, I'm not disappointed by that at all. I don't want that. That's an insane, difficult life. Uh, And maybe you're kind of relieved to know that we're not all the Apostle Paul. Good, I don't have to be someone I'm not. If that's a relief to you, good. God bless you. Uh, You're a wise person. But I think that maybe some of us are tempted and want to believe that we're all called to something that's super important, super public, and super, I don't know, just awesome all the time, and that our life as Christians should be awesome all the time. But the, the good news, I think, is that there are a lot of us that aren't called to that level of risk. And here's why I think it's good news. Now, Paul, later on in his life, ended up planting a lot of churches and, and talking to a lot of different believers in different places. And he, he wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. And this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You will gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. He's kind of mocking them 
right? In fact, you even put up with, with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. So you can really hear the sarcasm coming through and what, what Paul is saying here. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. So Paul is having to defend his ministry to false teachers in Corinth who basically are just full of bluster and bragging. And he's saying, fine, because bragging is the only language you idiots understand. I'll brag too and defend myself, even though that whole way of communicating is completely against the way of Christ. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and do I not inwardly burn? The life of someone who's going to really follow Jesus and really take big risks and really be the kind of person who makes a deep impact on the world is not an easy life. And so if you feel called or inspired, if you get the sense that God wants you to do something that is challenging or difficult for you, and then you run into that resistance, you are right on track. You are right on track. You are drinking from the same cup that Jesus drank from. You are drinking from the same cup that the Apostle Paul drank from. Good news is we're not all called to the same level of intensity. And there's grace in that. There's grace in leading a quiet, small life. There's grace and, and a gift in a life that is just mostly kind of normal. We're not all called to be the Apostle Paul, but we are all called to participate at the level God has called us to participate. And we don't have to force or make ourselves into something significant. We don't have to force or make ourselves into someone we aren't, that we're not called to be. And I feel like even in a movement like the Vineyard, where we really emphasize that everybody gets to play, that this, is, that this whole thing takes every kind of skill, every kind of gift, every kind of person, and that there's no person who, who serves God uh, fruitlessly, that, that if you are obedient in your walk to the Lord, that what you do matters and it's important in the kingdom. But even in a movement that is so, you know, flat in its structure and really emphasizes uh, not the superstars, but just having people pray for healing in their kitchens, pray for healing at their jobs and all those things, I, I, there's this propensity and there's this, this celebrity culture that infects us as Americans that we're always looking for the next superstar. And, we, and, and when we start to put those people on pedestals, it's, 
it's easy to begin to doubt what God is doing in our lives, and we become unfocused on the thing that he's called us to. And so I really do actually think that it's good news to say that we aren't all called to be the Apostle Paul. Some of us are just Ananias. Some of us are just minor characters in what God has called us to do. But where would Paul be without that minor character? The mystery and the the nature of Christian discipleship throughout the ages is that even the, the people who have small bit parts in the grand narrative are crucial They're part of the chain. They're part of the tapestry. They're part of the family. They're part of the lineage. They're part of the apostolic succession of the church that that every person matters. And here's the thing. Even if you find yourself in that minor role, even if you find yourself not as like the leader or the guy or the upfront person, your role is important and you still have to face your fear. There's no room for cowardice in the kingdom of God, even for the minor characters, even for the people that it's easy for us to forget about, even for the people that seem to not matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Ananias still has to face his fear, and though he seems to be a kind of timid character, maybe he didn't have the winning personality and the ability to be very eloquent, He walked in obedience, and he changed the world, not through what he did, but through the impact he made on a single person and their life and their relationship with God. So I just ask us to reflect and just say this. Let's just try to do it again, right? Let's just try this week again to stay open to what the Lord has for us. And if we find an opportunity to pray for healing or to share the gospel or to confess sin or to forgive someone or to whatever God calls us to do, let's just try to do that again. Let's just do it again. So much of life and our success in life is just being able to do the same things over and over. Prayed for healing, didn't happen. Prayed for healing, it didn't happen. Prayed for healing, whoa, it happened this time. That's going to be our experience if it's ever going to happen. And so we just try again. Just try again. Just keep trying. And if you have a story where you risked and you fell on your face and you felt awkward, boy, come tell it and we will clap. And we'll love you and we'll say, hey, we've been there too, man. It's no big deal. I feel like so much of obedience to God is just this. It's just the willingness to show up and to struggle and to fail and to keep struggling and failing until we get a little bit better every day, one day at a time. So much of, uh, I think, any profession or any work of discipleship is this. Just do it again. This is kind of particularly relevant to some things that are going on in my life, and I just kind of want to share about my week this week. So this week I started, I thought, you know, subbing like a couple days a week with my plan. Uh, and then God completely interrupted that plan. Uh, I, I, I had the opportunity to go um, do some substitute teaching at a middle school that I've kind of had my eye on for a while, and um, I got to do some subbing 
for one of the uh, special ed classes and in the morning, and then they actually had me in the afternoon. They were in, in dire need because uh, the previous sub left, uh, couldn't handle it in the room. And the, the only thing I, I told Penn Mac I didn't want to do, the only subject I said I don't want to do this is art. Because I just had this sense that art could get a little out of hand with a bunch of junior high kids and, and that if I was in there not really knowing how to teach art, I, feel, I figured I could probably wing it with math and history. Like, I can definitely do math. Like, I'm almost certified to teach math. I could definitely wing it in history or English or, you know, any of those other subjects. I feel like even gym or, or music, you know, I read music. I'm okay. I could, I could hang. I can hang. But art, I was just like, oh, I don't know. And so, of course, they said, you know, well, hey, we have, we, we have this really desperate need. The kids have just been without a teacher for two weeks. Uh, and we don't know if the teacher's coming back, and they've just had sub after sub after sub after sub for two weeks. You know, we really, we're really having trouble getting anybody in there. Could you just, could you just go and, and be in the art room this afternoon? And for some unfathomable reason to me. I said yes. And so, and, uh, and it is just as bad as I expected. Everything, everything that I thought might happen has in fact happened. Uh, you know, they got into the paint. It was nuts. We had, anyway. Uh, but for some reason, uh, when the administrator asked me after we'd had like meltdowns and all kinds of crazy stuff happen, the administrator asked me, he said, well, are you coming back? And I just felt this, something rose up inside me. I, I, and it just, it really seemed like the spirit of God. And it just said, yes, I can do this. I can come back. I can endure this. I can be here and manage this chaos and being in this impossible situation because it's not these kids' fault that they don't have a teacher. It's wrong. And they just need somebody to show up for them and to come back and to let them know that somebody gives half a care to their situation. And I'm completely unqualified, but I'm willing, and I'll show up. And so much of what happens in the kingdom of God, so much of supernatural ministry or just basic discipleship kind of stuff or any kind of ongoing work in God's church is that. It's just showing up over and over again. I'd also just invite us this week, when we find ourselves in the middle of the struggle, to be encouraged by the example of Jesus, to be encouraged by the example of Paul, to be encouraged by the example of Ananias. Whether you're a major character or a minor character, if you find that your life is hard, you find that it's scary, you find that it's challenging, maybe that doesn't mean that you're off course. Maybe that just means that you're alive and you have a pulse, and you hope for something more than this present evil age. That if you're working for something greater than the common experience of humanity, which is just a slow march towards our doom, then maybe you're not wrong to hope. Maybe you're not wrong 
to want God to do something and to hope that God will do something and to keep praying irrationally, foolishly, perhaps, you know, pathetically in the eyes of many people, to keep hoping that God would do something that maybe you're not off course, maybe you're right where God wants you to be. And maybe you're just living in the struggle. Maybe you're just in the middle of the story instead of the happy ending. And I just feel like God wants to encourage us to find him in the middle of those places, in those places that are challenging and where the struggle is real. And then finally, I think it's important for us to take care of our souls and rest. Do you notice that one of the first things Paul does when he comes to Jesus is have a snack? Did you notice that? I've got to go back several slides here, but I just... Uh, no, 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 no. I've got to go all the way back to the middle of the sermon. Where is it? Where is it? There it is. Uh, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. You know, I just think it's important for us as believers to... Um, could you just click on that kind of last, last slide there, Anthony? I'm going to let you do that for me. Thanks. That we take care of our souls. That we do the spiritual work to nourish our relationship with God so that we can find the life and the hope that we need to continue in this not easy journey. That the things that God calls us to are often challenging. They're often countercultural. They're often at odds with what's popular and what is kind of the norm in this present evil age. And it, it can wear you out, and it can, it can discourage you. And it's been important for me, even as I pastor this church, to have the encouragement and help of the people who are sitting in these chairs. It's important to be able to receive prayer and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? And for God to meet us in those places and to refresh us and to have a community that feeds us and that, that helps us on our journey of life through the ups and the downs. And I know, because I know you all, that a lot of us are in the thick of it. A lot of us are right in the middle of the battle of our lives. And I think it has something to do with stage of life a little bit. Just like when you're in your mid-30s and you have kids, it's like, Man, there's so much pressure. Or if you're in college or you're getting there, you know, it's like it, it just feels like, man, this is so much. Or even if you're, you're past all that and you're just dealing with, you know, moving into the next stage of life, you know, life is just this constant, constant barrage of challenge after challenge. And if you don't feed that relationship that you have with God, if we don't make that a priority and connect with the vine, the source of all life, then we will shrivel up and die. It's only a matter of time. And so, be the vineyard is one really great way to do that. Show up and eat a taco. All right? And then let's work on this stuff together, and then let's get prayer. Right? It's important. It's important to get plugged in to a community where you can find rest for your soul. And it's important to take a break. 
it's important to have a snack and a nap. Like, eat good and get some rest if you can. Uh, we have the opportunity, um, Kara and I, to go on a little pastor's retreat in Iowa over the next couple days, and while I am contributing to the inconsistency that my students will be experiencing on Monday and Tuesday, uh, I have a good excuse to say I couldn't tra- cancel my travel plans, and uh, boy, I need it. And, uh, I just need to hang out with some other pastors and talk about being a pastor of a startup church with, you know, needing to work another job for income and, and the challenges and all that. I just, like, I need that help. I need that rest for my soul. I need that support. And I'm so grateful to be part of a movement that cares about pastors that way and that, that I have that support network. And I'm so glad to be part of a church that supports me emotionally and relationally. So many pastors struggle with this thing of, you know, they feel like they can never ask anybody in their church for prayer, and they feel like they can't, can't really be open with their struggles, and they can't really share what they're going through, and it just leads to this sort of toxic situation and this deep irony of you give your life to forming this community that's supposed to be supportive and help people move towards Christ, and then you don't actually get to be part of it. And I have to say that I'm really excited for the future and the opportunity of this church that that hasn't been my experience, at least since January. I don't know. Maybe I'll fall off the horse and that won't be the case sometime in the future if we grow really big or something. But like right now, at least, like y'all are there for me. And I love you for it. And I really appreciate it. And I just want that to continue. And I just want more people to be able to experience this. I just want more people to be able to experience the goodness of a community that really loves each other, that supports each other through the junk, and that welcomes the kingdom. And that's what we're going to do right now. Would you stand? So this is the time that really we're all just The whole thing just builds up to what happens next. This is the time that we take to pray for each other. And this is when that kingdom breaks in to our hearts. This is when people get healed. This is when we figure out we need to forgive somebody and we forgive them. Uh, This is when um, emotionally, socially, physically, spiritually, we experience God's healing and restoration and encouragement. And so if you need any of that, just come up. Like there's... This, I want to give a couple specific things out, but I don't want those to be prohibitive. Uh, so if you need prayer for literally any reason, just come stand up here uh, kind of in the middle or the front, and that'll kind of be the signal, hey, I want prayer. And then somebody who's been trained to uh, just keep things confidential and, and know how to pray for you without being too weird uh, will just come and put their hand on your shoulder and ask how they can pray for you. A couple things. I get a sense that some of us are still kind of really wrestling, struggling with, can I actually do the stuff that Ananias did in this story? Can I be the kind of person who restores sight to the blind? I don't really know if that's my gig. And I I just get the sense that there's power and encouragement for you and like a confrontation of fear that God would invite you into and he can free you from that doubt and really start to work through you in those ways. I believe that's available this morning. So if you want prayer about that, come on up and get prayer. I also just think that maybe some of us are just like, 
we're just worn out. We're just worn out. And, um, and God just wants to help you experience rest and peace. Um, so if any of that connects, um, or if you want prayer for literally any reason, just come forward and we'll pray for you during this last song.